Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and welcome to you today. Thank you for joining me. We're going to be today continuing on in our new series, Isaiah's Messiah, exploring the names of Jesus found in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. We'll also cover a few others but that is our primary foundational scripture for this series. So God bless you and thank you for tuning in today. Just as a form of brief review, we are doing this short series delving into the names of Jesus given by Isaiah in his book. Although we consider a few others, we're using the scripture of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7 as our primary springboard for this series. In the first lesson, we looked at the child that was born that Isaiah spoke about. We saw how this teaches us about Jesus' humanity, his childhood, upbringing and rearing, his fact that he would be a normal child. He was born and would grow as any other normal, common child would. He was not going to be ritzy or rich or any of those things. He was just going to be a regular person. Today we're going to look at the son given. Now, there are many sons born and have been all throughout time. This is not just talking about any son, but this is the one and only son of the living God. In many ways it couples with the child that is born. And so there is some degree of overlap here. Both are signifying the fact that he is going to be God come in the flesh as a human being, 100% God and 100% man. So I want us to start out by reading our foundational scripture again, as we will probably do most every time. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, or Father of Eternity, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end, upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice, from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So God specifically identifies to Isaiah that the coming Messiah that Isaiah will tell us about here is a son given. It's speaking of how there's going to be this special son, the son of God, the son of God come in the flesh that is given as a gift that is granted to us. If you'll remember, probably the best known scripture in the entire world by most people, believers and non-believers, is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. So God has given his one and only 
begotten son. The word for son in the Hebrew is interesting because it is really talking about a builder, one who builds the family, one who continues on the name of the family, one who continues the line of the family, because the seed would come through the male child, through the, through the son in a family. The root of the word is to build. So it's speaking of the builder of the family, the builder of the legacy, the builder of the continued generations. And it means literally a male child, the son. So it does also speak of his humanity. The son is born from seed. Normally, in human relationships between husbands and wives, the man is the one that bears the seed that creates the child in conception. But Jesus' conception and Jesus' birth, he was the only begotten of the Father. His was miraculous. The seed was the word of God. Jesus even tells us this in Luke chapter 8, verse 11, when he is explaining the sower and the seed parable. And he says plainly, the seed is the word of God. I want us to look at a familiar passage normally looked at in the Christmas season. We're going to go to Luke chapter 1, and we're going to read verse 26 through 38. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you, blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? Now I want to stop right here. What she was saying was, I'm betrothed to Joseph, but we have not come together in a husband and wife union, in any form of sexual union. So she was like, I don't understand, how can this happen? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One, who is to be born, will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. I want to stop for just a moment. That word nothing, translated nothing in our Bibles, is actually a compound Greek word made up of three different Greek words. And it literally is saying absolutely not one, not even one, of any rhema word God spoke. 
any special living word. Every word that God promised, every prophecy in scripture is alive. And if it has yet to find its fulfillment, it will, because it does not die. And with God, nothing will be impossible. So that's what he was telling her here. It will come to pass. And so in essence, he's saying to her, tag Mary, you're it. The seed of the woman in Genesis 3.15, the virgin of Isaiah 7.15, 14 and 15, that's you, Mary. This word is now coming to pass. Verse 38, then Mary said, behold the maid servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word or your rhema, that word that is the living word from the Lord. And the angel departed from her. So here, Luke records this for us, most likely after interviewing Mary. Mary would have been the only one who could have given him these details that was living at that time. And so Mary tells him the whole story. And the seed that would bring about this conception miraculously was brought by the Holy Spirit when he came upon her. He would come upon her. And this child would be born from the seed of Father God in heaven into Mary's womb through that seed of the word of God. And this would fulfill Genesis 3.15, where the Lord promised that there would be a seed of the woman. And that's biologically not correct. The sperm or the seed is in the man, not in the woman, normally. This is simply saying that this seed of the woman, this seed coming forth and being born through the woman, will be miraculous. It will not be by man's hand. It will not be of human origin, but it will be of divine origin from the seed of the word of God through the Holy Spirit. And he will be the seed of the woman. And he will also be born from this virgin who has conceived, according to Isaiah 7.14. So this is not just any son that's being given. Notice in Isaiah 9.6, it is the Lord's son given here. God come in the flesh in this male son or child like we've covered even in the last episode. He is the only begotten, the only son that is truly born, born of this virgin. Begotten, the sole or single one that is actually coming into existence through birth, that has been generated, literally born of flesh and blood. He's the only one born. He's unique, the one and only because he's the only one that has ever had this miraculous birth. Now, he came to bring many sons to glory, Hebrews tells us. He came so that we could be saved and become God's children. So that includes all of us, but we are children by adoption, Paul tells us. But Jesus was the Lord God the Father's one and only born son of the Father. 
Several witnesses, both in the Old Testament and in the New, attest to this. And I'm going to mention many of these, and we'll read a few. John the Apostle attests to it in John chapter 1, verse 14 and 18. John chapter 3, verse 16 and 18, as we have already seen. And in 1 John chapter 4, verse 9 and 5, verse 1. In both his epistle there and his gospel, he attests that Jesus is the actual Son of God. Paul attests it also when he quotes the psalmist from Psalm chapter 2, verse 7, in Acts chapter 13, verse 33. The author of Hebrews also attested, who may or may not have been Paul. Some believe it was Paul. Some do not believe it was Paul. He is unnamed, that author. I have personal reasons to believe it's not Paul, but many people do. But the author of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 5, and in Hebrews 5, 5, quotes Psalm 2, verse 7, also attesting that Jesus is that promised Son of God. God himself made promise to David. Now I want us to read this one. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 16, God is speaking to David here and he says, When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I removed before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. Now, you may say, well, this was talking about Solomon. Yes, it was. Yes, it was, partially. There is a dual fulfillment here. It was speaking of Solomon, but portions of this were also prophetically speaking of the Messiah, the son of David. And that's proven to us when we come to the New Testament and the gospel authors speak to him about being the son of David. Some of them prove that to us in the lineages and etc. So Jesus never sinned. He's, he never had sin. He never had iniquity like Solomon did. But he is the one who will have the throne forever in the forever kingdom. That is not speaking of Solomon. That is speaking of Messiah. So God is saying here, both of Solomon, who would come from David, but also ultimately of the Messiah, that he would sit on David's throne forever. His kingdom would be established forever. The psalmist in Psalm 2, verse 7 and in verse 12, speaks about the Messiah that's coming. And as we said, Paul and the author of Hebrews both quoted this passage in the New Testament. Let's look at it now. In Psalm chapter 2, verse 7, the Lord is speaking here. Let's read verse 6 and 7. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. 
And we have that quoted in the New Testament, making sure we understand that this is speaking of Jesus, the Messiah. When he says, I will declare the decree, in other words, he's saying, I'm going to inscribe or record this appointment, this enactment. It's a sure thing. It's a done deal. It might as well be written in stone that he is the one that God the Father has begotten. He has beget him. He has sired him. He is the son of God. I want to read another one in Proverbs chapter 30 that you may not be aware of. This one clearly also proves that God has a son. And his son, we find out, is named Jesus Messiah. Praise be to God. Proverbs chapter 30, beginning in verse 1, it says this, The words of Agur, the son of Jekeh, his utterance. This man declared to Ithiel, to Ithiel and Yukal, Surely I am more stupid than any man, and do not have the understanding of a man. I neither learn wisdom nor have knowledge of the Holy One. Who has ascended into heaven or descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has bound the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? So he's putting forth this rhetorical question here, and he says, who is the one that, that would fit these descriptions? Well, there's only one who could answer. There's only one who could be the answer to that question, and that is God in heaven, the Lord God, the Lord God Almighty. Continuing on in that verse, what is his name and what is his son's name, if you know? Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. So here, Agur, the son of Jekeh, is also proving to us that God has a son, and God's son also has a name. We've already seen in Isaiah 7, 14, and in 9, 6, and 7, where Isaiah is telling us about the coming son who would be born of this virgin, but also in Isaiah Chapter 49, this is another one that has a dual fulfillment. Chapter 49, beginning in verse 1, it says this, Listen, O coastlands, to me, and take heed, you peoples from afar. The Lord has called me from the womb. From the matrix of my mother, he has made mention of my name. And he has made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he has hidden me and made me a polished shaft. In his quiver he has hidden me. And he said to me, You are my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Then I said, I've labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and in vain. Yet surely my just reward is with the Lord and my work with my God. And now the Lord says, Who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, so that Israel is gathered to him. For I shall be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. Indeed, he says, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles 
that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. So here we see another one that has a dual fulfillment. Yes, in part, it is speaking of Israel and the Jewish people. But we see also distinctions in these verses that prove to us that it is not just speaking of Israel, but is speaking of the Messiah to come, who will be of Jewish blood, who will be the Lord's servant, and who will draw Israel and the Gentile nations to God, and he will be the Savior to the ends of the earth. So here's another place where we see Isaiah prophetically speaking about this coming son, this coming one who would be the servant, this coming Messiah. We also see it in Isaiah's writings in Isaiah 53. In Isaiah chapter 53, I want to read verses 1 and 2. Who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. So here Isaiah is prophesying about this coming one being of human form, in human flesh, growing up before God as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground, taking us back to the root of Jesse and the branch that he has spoken of in other places. So here, and note that this one is the arm of the Lord, or the Zeruah, the arm of the Lord. Now, in my Isaiah's Messiah Exploring Isaiah 53 series, we did cover this in greater detail. But the Zeruah is the arm of the Lord, and I went into that in great detail there. But here, Isaiah is telling us that this will be God come in the human form, his own son, the Zeruah, as the arm of the Lord. And Isaiah is telling us more about his coming. He's not going to be coming as some rich royal king according to the world's standards, even though some may have expected that and may have been looking forward to it. As a matter of fact, in verse 2 here, part of the reason that Isaiah in verse 1 is asking this question, who's believed our report? In other words, this report is nearly unbelievable to the common person. It's so magnificent. It's so wonderful. It's so amazing. Who would have ever thought that God would come in the flesh? So this is one of the places that makes clear his humanity and his humility as well as we go through that and see what Isaiah is saying here. Maybe they were looking for a king, the royal family's son, pomp and circumstance, riches and glories according to the world. We know the the Magi thought that. They came to King Herod and thought that King Herod knew about this new king. Remember in Matthew chapter 2. So we know that they were, some at least, were expecting him to come as king. They were also expecting him to come to overthrow the Romans. But they didn't know in God's wisdom that they had a far worse enemy than the Romans. And the Lord came to destroy him, the, the devil, Satan. Never did the Jews expect how Jesus came, but it fits perfectly with Isaiah telling us about the coming of Messiah.
He was going to grow up. He was going to be trained up as a young child, being reared from childhood. Isaiah also tells us here of his appearance, how he'd have no real form, no physique, no special features. He was not going to be tall, dark, and handsome. He was not going to be some mighty warrior and husky, muscular type. He was not going to be rich or ritzy. He was going to have no comeliness, no beauty or special features, but he was going to be common and ordinary. But he is the Lord's Messiah, the Anointed One, the Son of God, coming very humbly at that time, coming in human flesh. And he did, in fact, do that. He is exactly who Isaiah prophesied and the other prophets from the Old Testament. He came as God in human flesh. Let's read Luke chapter 2, beginning of verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. So they came and they found exactly what the angel said, the babe. And that is the Greek word for infant, a young baby, one freshly born, one newly born, one that's not very old. He came, God in the flesh, as a baby, and he is the Savior of the world. Joseph was another witness to this. Joseph himself, we find out about his portion of this story, or at least a part of it, 
in Matthew chapter 1. I want to read beginning of verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, that's talking about before they came together physically as a husband and wife would, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. In other words, he couldn't hardly believe that this would have been from the Holy Spirit, and he's thinking in his mind that she's been unfaithful to him. So he's going to put her away. He's going to divorce her. Verse 20. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So Joseph confirms to us from his own experience the affirmation from the angel that this conception was of the Holy Spirit, it originated from the Holy Spirit, and he is Isaiah's promised son that is given. So who is he? Scripture tells us, and we have several things that we want to draw to a close with here as we look at these. He is the son of God, proven by many of these verses we've already looked at and the witnesses above, as well as Gabriel's message to Mary that we read in Luke chapter 1, verse 35. He is also called the son of the highest, the son of the most supreme God, the son of God most high, El Elyon. He is also the son of Abraham. We find that to be true through the lineage given in Matthew chapter 1. This is very important, especially for many Jewish people, because they need to understand some have been taught that Jesus is some other God. He is not the Jewish Messiah. But in the lineage of Jesus recorded for us in Matthew chapter 1, he is in fact the son of Abraham and the son of David. You will find that proven in the lineage in Matthew chapter 1 and in the lineage given in Luke chapter 3. Both of those are very important because they each have a separate purpose. It was critical that we know that he is both the son of Abraham and the son of David in Matthew chapter 1 and in Luke chapter 3 because they have two different purposes. The one in Matthew chapter 1 establishes his legal line as the son through Solomon of David to give him the legal right to the throne of David. The one in Luke chapter 3, however, establishes his biological connection to David. He was not the biological son of Solomon like Joseph was, which gave him the authority to claim the heirship to the throne. That established his legal right because he was considered the son of Joseph. But through Mary, who was the son of David through Nathan, Mary establishes his biological connection. He is literally, biologically, through Mary, 
the son of David. He is also the son of righteousness. Malachi chapter 4, 2 prophetically spoke about a son of righteousness. Now, there's only one who is righteous. There's only one who is the true embodiment of righteousness, and that is God. So he is the son of righteousness, God come in the flesh. And in Malachi chapter 4, verse 2, this prophetic word about the son of righteousness who's coming says he will come with healing in his wings. And Jesus, if you have read anything about the Gospels, know that all through the Gospels, he's going around healing people. I have a separate message, if you'd like to look it up, concerning the healing him, because it says here he will have healing in his wings. And I go into some detail about what that means. You can look that up in the archives if you like. The title of that is Healing Him, H-E-M. He is also the Son of Man. And I want us to look at this one pretty closely. First, consider this, the Son of Man, that term in the Old Testament used by Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 50, verse 40, as well as in some other places, identifies that this is talking about a living human being. So this is signifying also that he will be a human being, the Son of Man. However, he is the divine son of man. In other words, he is God come in the flesh, fully God and fully man. This is the son of man. I want us to read the prophetic word about the son of man, and we're going to look at a few other places as we begin to draw to a close on these last points. In Daniel chapter 7, I want to begin the reading in verse 9. Daniel is writing here of his experience in this vision, and he says, I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. So Daniel here is describing for us the vision of God's throne, God the Father, his throne. It matches with some others that we've seen by Isaiah and by some of the other prophets, as well as Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 1 and so forth. But then go on down to verse 13 and 14. Daniel continues, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. So here, this is the prophetic word of this coming Son of Man. Now, when it says that Daniel saw one like, it means one that corresponded to the Son of Man. In other words, it was the Son of Man. There was only one in the Old Testament that was shown to us with this type of title as a prototype or a type of Christ in that term, and that was Ezekiel. But Jesus, the Messiah, fulfills this in the New Testament. He is Daniel's prophesied 
son of man that Daniel saw in this vision. We see this proven to us throughout the Gospels in many references, and each place shows us more about Jesus in this name or this title. It's much more than we can delve into here in this episode, but I'm going to just mention a few brief points. Throughout the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all speak of the Son of Man and call Jesus and make it clear that Jesus is this Son of Man. We are told he won't have a home or a permanent lodging. We understand he has authority to heal and to forgive sin. We understand that he would be eating and drinking like a normal person. He would be living life just like anybody else. He is also the Lord of the Sabbath. We see that he was going to suffer, be betrayed, die, be buried for three days and nights, die by crucifixion when he died, that he would be raised, he would save the lost through this act that he would do. We see that he would be glorified through his death, burial, and resurrection, that he has a coming future kingdom, an everlasting kingdom being given to him, and that he is coming again. We also see the application, according to John chapter 1, verse 51, of Jacob's ladder, the angels and ascending and descending on him, the Son of Man. Then in Revelation chapter 1, verse 12 and 13, John also sees Jesus now in heaven, ministering as priest among the lampstands or the churches, like or the same. He is the Son of Man. Same thing is seen in Revelation chapter 14, verse 14. He is the Son of Man there as well. Lastly, on this point, there's one in the Old Testament that prophesied of this coming Son of Man. We read that in Daniel. There's one in the New Testament, in addition to Jesus himself in the Gospels and the Gospels teachings about him being the Son of Man. There is another one that affirms that Jesus is the Son of Man that Daniel prophesied about and affirms that he is both personal and relational. I want to read Acts chapter 7, verse 56. I'm going to read verse 55 and 56. But he, meaning Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So Stephen here, as Stephen is being martyred, he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God, and he says, Look, I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God, affirming that Jesus is the Son of Man that Daniel had prophesied about, and affirming like John that he is in heaven, and he is personal and relational, because he's standing up when Stephen is about to come and be welcomed home. Lastly, we see Jesus as the promised son, seed of Abraham. Isaac was, in fact, the true seed of promise to Abraham. However, Isaac was also the prototype. Isaac was the type of Christ. 
Paul makes that very clear in Galatians chapter 3. And I want to close this out by reading these final verses. Galatians chapter 3, verse 15 through 17. Brethren, I speak in the manner of men. Though it is only a man's covenant, yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one. And to your seed is what he was quoting from what God has said to Abraham. And to your seed, who is Christ. Then he goes on in verse 17 and talks about that, how the law did not annul that. The seed is Jesus Christ, the seed of Abraham, the son of Abraham, the promised son that was given. And it is through Jesus that the promise given to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 3, is fulfilled, that all the nations of the earth are blessed. And that blessing comes through faith in Jesus Christ, the Son who has been given, the one and only Son of God who came, given by God, because he loved the world, so that the world could be saved, you and I and everyone we know, and come to love Jesus and come to know him. That's God's desire, beloved friend. Praise God for his powerful word and for his one and only begotten son given to us. Praise be to God. I pray that this has been a blessing to you. And Lord willing, you can join us again for future episodes in this series. God bless you today in Jesus name. Amen.